It's who you don't know this time on Culture File in the latest from Tygo Sullivan. This time the director is contemplating social cohesion and running some Dunbar numbers in his latest Cloud of Unknowing. Early in Pat McCabe's novel, The Butcher Boy, a character lying in the doorway of a pub takes a break from singing into a bottle. Shout at our narrator and hero of a sort, Francie Brady. You know me, do you? Francie knows him only as the drunk lad. In the small Monaghan town of the 1960s in which the book is set, the drunk lad cuts a sorry figure. His mind, we guess, is so addled with booze that he has lost his grasp on his own identity. His catchphrase question, perhaps a call for help from passers-by, and well, they might be able to help him, were they inclined to answer. The novel is set in a fictionalized version of every small town in 1960s Ireland, where everyone knows everyone. Although set in the early 60s, the novel was published in 1992, at a time when small towns had changed little since Francie Brady's day. The church maintained its rigid hold on the country, its power not centralized, but distributed locally articulated not through the pulpit, but via the pews, peopled by a unit of moral guardians whose business was to know everyone else's. 1992 was also the year that a British anthropologist called Robin Dunbar published a study that would make his name. Dunbar proposed a theory on human social group size, suggesting an optimum number of group members based on the cognitive capacity of our brains. The number he arrived at was 150, known since as Dunbar's number. Dunbar argued that this was the upper limit for social groups that relied on mutual personal relationships. He and his followers traced the number in Neolithic farming settlements, in ancient Roman army units, in hunter-gatherer groups, in 20th century Christmas card lists. The number didn't exist in isolation. It was part of a proposed series of numbers that quantified intimates, close friends, acquaintances, and tribe as a set of concentric social circles. The social structures so described were bound up with evolution and brain size and therefore applied to all, irrespective of culture, location, or time in history. Dunbar's ideas rapidly migrated from the academy to the broader culture. Office sizes were soon designed with social cohesion and shared goals in mind. In technology too, as tech became interested in online world building, the number was baked early into algorithms that sought to nurture networks and create community. But sadly for Professor Dunbar, it seems his theory is dubious. Dunbar's method of measuring monkey brains and their social groups, then scaling up for human brain sizes, turns out to be not very good or reliable science. And while many social groups can be found to support his theory, it turns out lots of others can be found that go against it. Part of the appeal of Dunbar's theory was that it seemed about right. A look around at mass in 1960s Monaghan might have confirmed the broad accuracy. It may simply have been an observable phenomenon in our own societies, retrofitted with a scientific theory and imagined to hold true for all. 
If so, Dunbar had unwittingly become part of a broader movement in anthropology that projected Western social norms onto the wider world, claiming their origins in the savannah and the flickering light of caves. Alongside gender roles, nuclear families, ruling classes, male inheritance, and property, the idea of the village, an intimate subset of the state, was imagined as the natural order of things. In due course, such assumptions were carried into the new and emerging social networks, creating a curious blend of techno-utopia and white picket fence retro-conservatism, a kind of Silicon Valley of the squinting windows. Global Village is not created by the motor car or even by the airplane. It's created by instant electronic information movement. The Global Village is at once as wide as the planet and as small as a little town where everybody is maliciously engaged and poking his nose into everybody else's business. The Canadian philosopher Marshall McLuhan realized from the start that our digital social revolution might simply recreate the oppressive moralizing structures that we hoped to escape. closing pages of the butcher boy, we meet the drunk lad for the last time. He is wheeling a plaster saint across the square, joining the townsfolk as they gather to welcome the end of the world in fervent prayer. A couple of chapters enthralled to Francie Brady and his freewheeling brand of murderous chaos has been enough to make sobriety and religion a better set of options. In the course of the novel, we have seen past the neat facade of the town deep into its dark soul and into the quiet, secret traumas that are buried within. Every public persona, we realize, was a mask for someone broken by the violence, the shame, the moralizing and the hypocrisy of the Ireland of the novel. We think again of the drunk lad's catchphrase, and we begin to realize that it was a rhetorical question, an accusation. Here, nobody knows anybody. Tygo Sullivan's latest cloud of unknowing there, and you'll find previous clouds as well as catch all future clouds and plenty more if you subscribe to the Culture File podcast via the Lyric site or search Culture File on your favorite podcatcher.